0: Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. You're here on a great Sunday because we're kicking off a brand new series. And so I'm getting to start, spend the next few weeks together um, looking at this idea of simple matters. And so if you've got your bulletin, um, you've got your Bible app, however is you're going to track, um, that we're looking at this idea because the matters that matter most um, in our lives, um, and especially in our walk with God, they are typically very simple, um, but they're never simplistic, and so the simple can go deep and wide and be and, and simplistic is is surface and, and and is a lot of times clunky. and for whatever reason, we quickly begin to gravitate towards complex. We gravitate towards just making things harder and more challenging. For whatever reason, we're just drawn to it. And sometimes it's because maybe we had a negative experience with something that was simplistic. Not necessarily something that was simple, but something that was simplistic. And we're like, okay, well, it, it, we just, we're just we just going to have to add some variables. We're just going to have to add some other things. And so, um, just so you know, I was born in 1973. Um, great year, by the way. Great year. And so... Um, And the Lamborghini Countach was born in 1974. And so it was like, you know, God was like, release the most pristine supercar ever. And so I know there would be those who would argue that, but if you're an 80s kid, um, the Countach is the epitome of supercars. And so being a kid growing up that uh, just loving cars and then, you know, wanting this Lamborghini, which you know, c- is just incredibly out of reach, especially you know, when you're nine, you know, it's like, yeah, that you know, it's not not happening. Um, but you know, you can get a remote control version of it. And one birthday, somebody, I don't know who, it was probably a grandparent, bought me a rem- white remote control Lamborghini Countach. And I was just so excited, unbox that thing, get it ready to go. Get the batteries in it and take it to the kitchen because the kitchen is the only place that has a nice, smooth indoor surface. Everything else is nice, good carpet, doesn't work well on that. Take it in there. And if anybody from my generation remembers some of those remote control cars, that basically your remote had a button. And the car would just go forward and would and would turn only in reverse. Anybody have one of those growing up? One of those remote control cars? All right. turn only in reverse and only when you hit the button. So the car was always going. It was never still. You turned it on, the wheels take off, and it's just always going. But it only turned in reverse, and it only turned one direction. You, you can't make a Lamborghini do what a Lamborghini does. It cannot sit there and run through like some, some cones and go in all these different directions if it only turns in reverse and only turns one direction. And so I'm sitting there, I'm just trying to drive my Lamborghini, and it is just sitting there, and it is very simplistic. As far as a remote control car goes to have some amount of control, it was very simplistic, one button, one way to turn, but it was not simple to operate. Well, sure enough, in our kitchen, for whatever reason, we had some cabinets built, and, and uh, there at, at the, at the, under the kick plate of it, there was a gap in our baseboard between our cabinets. And sure enough, I'd had my Lamborghini for six minutes driving it around the best I could with my one button and it runs right in because you couldn't stop it and it gets up next to the cabinets and it just runs and I'm just watching it happen and it just disappears under the cabinets. Gone forever. I never saw that car again. It was just gone. (laughs) And so it was under the cabinets. They were brand new cabinets. My dad was not going to tear them out. And so to get my Lamborghini back. And, uh, and so, but it was so frustrating. It was so frustrating that this, driving this little car with this simple, simplistic thing. And it was just so incredibly frustrating. And everything within me was like, no, it's, you, you, simple is bad. We need extra tools. We need extra buttons. We need extra all of these different things. And, and the truth is, when things are genuinely simple... When things are genuinely simple, they actually open things up. They actually make things better in life. And a lot of times we can have a negative experience with something that was simplistic and decide, no, it's, it's got to be more complex than that. It's got to be more deep than that. And the truth is that this life in Christ, the big chunk, the big pieces, they're simple. And instead of us trying to overcomplicate our relationship with God, thinking that when we hit a little bit of a struggle, we hit a little bit of a, of a bump and go, okay, well, these the simple things must not be where it's at. And we try to overcomplicate it. And then we'll complicate it to the point we just don't want to mess with it anymore. And the truth is is that what we're, re- we're looking at this to dial back in to the big picture things, the things that are simple deep and curious where we need to go in our relationship with Christ. In fact, Jesus lets his disciples know that these big, heavy truths of the kingdom of God, they're honestly, they're they're simple enough for a child to be able to embrace. In fact, we're all going to have to do it that way. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We don't know who's the greatest. This has got to be somebody who understands all the complexities, all the stuff. They're walking out this thing with God on just just this mind-blowing, deep level. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus knew they were going to carry this in a direction it just didn't need to go. And so calling to him a child... He put it in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To be able to enter into, to be able to step into the kingdom of heaven represents the king and his way of doing things, okay? To be able to do things God's way, we're going to have to be able to embrace it like a child. We're going to have to embrace this space like a child. I love the way... um, that it says it in the message translation. Let's look at verse 3 in the message. It says, and this I'm telling you once and for all, that unless you return to square one and start over like children, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom, let alone get in. Whoever becomes simple and elemental again, like this child, will rank high in God's kingdom. Here's the problem is a lot of times when we think about child, we immediately immediately go to childish instead of childlike. And yeah, we don't need to be childish. We don't need to be, you know, self-centered and immature, but we do need to be childlike. One of the greatest painters of the last um, century. Uh, Pablo Picasso has a famous quote, you've probably heard it before, that he says, It it took me four years to learn how to paint like Raphael. To paint like one of the masters said, It took me four years to learn how to paint like Raphael. He says, But it's taken my lifetime to learn how to paint like a child. And if you see his later works, his goal was to be able to regain. With the the touch of a master and the heart of a child and be able to regain and have these simple lines that communicate flow and direction and all that. And and he spent his latter years doing things that on first look look like a child did it. Look like a child did it. It was simple lines. It's not complex. It's not detailed. It's not photorealistic uh, or impressionistic in any way. It's It is, doesn't fall within the normal art categories. But his heart was, let me regain this place to being able to just see lines and put them on a canvas in a simple way like a child. Because as life goes, we oversimplify. We dial into the details in such a level we miss the big picture. We don't see the forest for the trees. We we miss the magnitude of what God is doing in our lives because we get trapped in the minutia of what's taking place in our lives. And, and we'll see that as we look at, at growing in our relationship with Jesus, one of the very First things we see come out of Jesus' mouth as he begins to bring disciples into his life to help to train them up. He has a very simple, deep, life altering uh, request Follow me. Goes up to these guys in the middle of their jobs, they're not at a job fair, they're working whether they're fishermen or a tax collector or these different people living their lives, doing, and simply says, follow me. We get it. You don't remember the first time you played follow the leader. You don't remember it. It goes way back into your, your pre-K years. It gets, it's the most simple little game that anybody can begin to engage in. I look at what you're doing. And I begin to follow. My little grandson turns one this year, which is just mind blowing. And so, little Wyatt, he learns by following. He begins to mimic, he begins to do those different things. And it's so cute and it is so, but all of the things he's going to get in life come out of that one little skill that a nine month old was able to do. An 11-month-old is able to do. Just simply follow. Just simply see what, I see what you're doing, and I do my best to implement that. Here is Jesus invites these <coughs> people to follow him. we see in Matthew 4.20, says that they didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. Then say, what's in it for us? How is this going to work? Where's our income going to come from? Um, I, you know, what, give me some details. Give me some details on this. Jesus said, follow me. And they did the remarkable thing that a two-year-old given the same thing. Put down what they were doing and followed. His disciples continued to follow Jesus the rest of their time on earth with Him. And once Jesus went to the cross and died and was buried and ascended again and gave them the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down by simply following Jesus. Folks, when all this is said and done, you and I need to just make sure that in all of our, all the stuff pulling at us, Their hearts are like, Lord, I just want to follow you. I just want to follow. It sounds too simple. But you've been doing this long enough. You've put your toes in the water long enough. You know that that simple request, that simple invitation, the ramifications of it are huge. And here's what we're going to need to do. We need to remember that following it, it implies movement. It implies movement. You know, you go to the doctor's office and he says, all right, (coughs) look at my finger. All right, follow my finger. You're waiting on him to move his finger. He didn't say, stare at my finger. He said, follow my finger. And then he sits there and watches and sees how your eyes track. As soon as follow takes place, it's... It implies movement. We're called into a place to follow Jesus. And so it should not surprise us that it is going to require movement in our lives. That the way I think is going to move. I'm currently right here and he's invited me to follow him. And so now my thinking is going to move. My life is going to move. The way I do things are going to move. There will be change in me as I follow him. So many of us want to be invited to stare at Jesus. I've got my eyes on you. I've got my eyes. I'm looking at you but I'm not quite ready to actually have some change in me. I'm down with you. I'm not looking away from you, Jesus. I'm just not quite ready to see some real genuine change in me. I'm not ready to move. But following, it automatically implies movement. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, um, and said, follow me, he told him. said, follow me to a fisherman. He said, follow. So it's a, a guy who's like a, a blue collar every day working with his hands guy. He goes to a guy who's sitting behind a desk and counting and, and, and doing some sort of professional work. And, and follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and, and followed him. He just got up and followed him. You know, my brain goes, there's some other things that are involved in this. Do you have a conversation with your boss? Do you, you know, your coworker tag your it? What all does this look like? And as soon as I begin to think about this dynamic, my brain complicates it on so many different levels. The guys with the boats and the fishing net, they dropped their nets. They just left them there. Well, who's going to clean that up? Who's going to put the boat away? What happened to the tax collector? What happened to Rome's money sitting there on the, on the table? My brain immediately begins to go into all these different things when the scriptures show that what's needed is that immediate response to follow. Because guess what? As we begin to follow, he will lead in all of those other pieces. Here's the problem we don't follow because we're not confident he's gonna handle the ramifications of his own request. We wanna find out how this is gonna work out. Now that I'm confident you know what you're doing, now I'll follow. That's not lordship. Lordship is saying, your Lord, you asked me to follow, I'm gonna follow, and I'm gonna trust that all of these things that matter to me and are and have consequence, that you're gonna take care of it. That's we and we complicate the simple thing of following by placing ourselves in the wrong position of Lord. Second Corinthians three verse seventeen says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Any uh, space in your life where you feel boxed in, trapped, confined, the answer to it is not to wiggle yourself free. The answer to it is invite the Spirit of the Lord into that space. Invite the Spirit of the Lord, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And guess what? If your place isn't a place of freedom, then what the Spirit of the Lord is going to do is He's going to say, follow me. And he's going to lead you out of that place of captivity. We see it over and over and over again in the scripture. So where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then we all with unveiled faces, which means there doesn't have to be something between us and God. That's, we don't have to have this, this intermediary, this thing holding that back. Says We beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. What's the same image? What are we being transformed into? We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is the picture of where God is taking us. So in this following, we are literally, we're following him. We're becoming more like him. or being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we are, this is talking to believers. This isn't talking about to people who, are, who have no connection with God. This is us. We're being transformed from one glory to another. One shift of life to another. He's making things better and then better and then better and then better. That is what he is wanting to do in our lives. But we have to embrace the idea of regular sustained movement As we are following Jesus. See, to follow Jesus, we must be paying attention to Jesus. We've got to be paying attention. That's the only way you can follow him. That's the only way that happens. You've got to be paying attention. You've got to keep your eyes on him, looking at him, paying attention to what he does. If you don't have your eyes on him, you're not going to be able to follow him. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it says, as as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I love it that Jesus went around saying, come follow me. And here's a guy that says, I volunteer. I want in on this. And I love that Jesus doesn't shoot him down. Jesus just begins to make sure he knows what he's getting into. See, Jesus' ministry is rocking and rolling. Sometimes there's the bandwagon effect. Some people see something cool, something fun, happen to say, I want in on it. And Jesus lets him know what we're about to see that, hey, it may not be what you think it is. Jesus said, replied, the foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's like, do you recognize? I, it's not that you're following me to some place to camp out. A fox camps out in his den. A bird camps out in his nest. To follow me means to be following me all the time. Not follow me to a point, have checked the box, and I have now arrived at a place. You're saying, I want to follow you. He's like, guess what? You're going to be following me all the time. It's not following me to a destination. It's not following me and we have an arrival, and then at some point you get to check off, yes, I followed Jesus box. It is now done. I have followed him. No, he's like, no, we're not going to a place to lay our heads. We are going to continually move forward. There's going to be continual movement. Are you realize that saying I want to follow you means I'm ready to always follow you? I'm ready to always follow you. He's clarifying this space, and we, we don't know what the guy did. With the new information, we don't know if, they, if he's like, ooh, well, that's wasn't what I ever thought we were getting into. But we do know it's sealed up so you and I know what we're getting into. And then in verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. We've seen two groups drop what they were doing and follow. But we see that didn't happen every time. Jesus said, follow me. But he replied, Lord, First, let me go and bury my father. Now, this is a, this is a request to say, my, my, I'm, I'm being a caretaker for my dad. It's not that his father had passed away and the, 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 his funeral is scheduled and I need to go do that. It's, no, I've got a commitment here to my, to my dad and let me finish that out and then I can follow you. I've got some other priorities, he immediately did what Pastor Brandon did with what happens to the nets, what happens to this table, what are the ramifications of following you? He's like, my family is important. And it's not that Jesus doesn't think family is important. It's just whether or not we're going to trust him. That all of this is good. And Jesus gives what appears to be one of his harshest replies. He says, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It's like those who have not stepped into, aren't aware of who Jesus is as Messiah, they're already stuck in death. I'm inviting you to come and bring life. Do you want to stay in the realm of the dead or do you want to step into a place of life? Because as soon as you step into a place of life, now you can actually minister life to these people that you love so much. But if you hold these people that you love so much on a pedestal that it keeps you from following me, you're actually just staying connected with the dead. You're you're, You're alienating everybody from life. I'm actually inviting you in to be a link to life for them but you're not understanding that space. And still to another, he said, and I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. He's like, if you're gonna follow me, follow me. If you begin to put your hand to the plow, you begin to look around, look back. Hey, how's everything going? Are you really handling everything back there, Jesus? Is everything okay? It's like, it's not going to work that way. To follow me, you got to look at me. you got to look forward. you got to embrace that space. And now I want to look at Luke chapter 22. because following Jesus means to continually follow Jesus, which means let him redefine things. Let him shift things. Before we get to verse 47, Jesus in Luke has already had a couple of conversations with his disciples. Early on, he sends his disciples out two by two, and he sends them out to minister, and he tells them this. um, when you go out and minister, I want you to go out and lay hands on the sick and, and see them recover. I want you to proclaim the kingdom of God. I, I, I want you to cast out devils. I want you to do everything you see me doing. But, uh, but here's some details. Here's some behind-the-scenes notes. And he tells us this in the first round. He says, uh, yeah, don't take any money in your money bag. Um, don't take an extra tunic. Um, don't take out uh, any of these extra provisions. Uh, when someone opens their home to you, just stay in that one home. Don't bounce from house to house to house to house. Um, and then that, that's what I want you to do. So they go and they do it. And they come back and guess what? They cast out devils and they heal the sick and they preach the gospel and great things happen. And they came back celebrating and Jesus just left it at that. But then right before this moment, Right before this moment, you back up in Luke chapter 22, um, he's b- about to leave. This is the night before um, his death. He's, gonna, he's about to be arrested. We're about to see that. Um, and he has a conversation with him. And he brings up that moment where he said, hey, do you remember when I sent you out and I told you? This is, these are words Jesus told his disciples. Don't take money. And don't take any extra tunics. You remember when I told you that? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we remember that. That's the way we do life. Yeah, we're following you. You told us to do that. That's the way we do it still. He said, did you lack anything? I'm like, no. No, we didn't lack anything. It didn't, that didn't set us back in the least. We were, we were, we, everything we needed was just provided as we went. He's like, good. That was the lesson. That was the point of that. You know, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to do it. He's like, but now I want you. Now I want you to take extra money in your money belt. Now I want you to pack anything you need for the journey, pack it. Uh, And he says, and if you don't have a sword, sell some of your stuff and get a sword. And then, and then he says, and that, that's how I want you to travel now. He set them up to do it completely opposite. This is a behind-the-scenes thing. And now he gives them a new direction. We have to understand in following Jesus that just because we heard Jesus clearly one time, does it mean that that, that is never going to change. So many times we want to say, but I prayed about that and I clearly heard God on that before. And then we begin to close that box off because we already handled that with him. What we need to make sure we do is we never close a box with God. Even if we heard him clearly, even if we said, no, you're, I know what you had to say, give him room to say something fresh in that space. Give him room to give you some new direction, some new, uh, some new narrative on how to do life. Give him space to do that. And so they did. They did, and, it's, and then immediately they go, guess what? Um, actually, we've got two swords here. And Jesus lets them know, okay, that, that's, that's enough. They didn't need every man to have a sword. He wasn't raising up an army to send them out to battle. Their assignment was still to heal. Their assignment was still to preach the gospel. The truth was is that, guess what? It was, it was tough out on the journey. Wild animals would attack, all sorts of things. They're on their feet. Then they had lived in divine protection for that one, and he's, now I'm going to put you in a place of stewardship, knowing that I will always take care of you. Now you can take a next step up into a place of stewardship. Now you can have extra money in your money bag. Now you can have the sword. Now you can have that. Well, guess what? Jesus just had a conversation with a bunch of men and told them they could now have a sword. What are a bunch of men going to do now that they get a sword? They got nothing but sword on the brain. Whenever he sat there and he, he told them that you could have extra money, they didn't go, ooh, look, here's our, here's our, here's our fat wallet. When they, he, they said sword, they fixated on sword. What did they fix first? Ooh, we got two swords. They were so pumped about the swords. So now they've got something new in their life, and now all of a sudden this is they've had swords for some hours now. They've had swords for some hours. And in verse 47... It says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus had been very clear with his disciples that he was going to be betrayed. He'd just done it at at the last supper. Just this conversation was fresh was fresh people had said is it i is it i is it i is it i it just happened there at the last supper this is hours old and here it is playing out they don't all of a sudden what do they fixate on and when jesus his followers saw what was going to happen they didn't say wow this is exactly like you told us wow we just had this amazing thing and this is this is part of what's taking place No, what are they fixated on? (laughs) Lord, should we strike with our brand new swords? (laughs) They are fixated on their new toys. They are fixated. They forgot who they were. They're healers. They're restorers. They're ones who are bringing the, the, the good news of the gospel, and they got fixated on the new thing for us to be able to follow jesus we have to let him tell us okay don't take a sword we have to let him tell us okay now it is time to take a sword but then we also have to remember who we are and let him tell us when it's time to actually utilize the sword why do i build this case because following jesus is simple we just keep following him we never take him out of the equation Following Jesus means following Jesus. It's never taking him out of the equation. So what happens? They're they're praying. If we have this same conversation now, Lord, do I need to strike with my sword? Um, I hope you never pray that. But if you do, that's a prayer. You're asking for direction. You're asking for guidance. And so they're at least like inquiring, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them Could not wait for an answer. One of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed them. All of a sudden, now, this man who was willing to go without a sword, this disciple that was willing to not have a sword, this disciple who was willing to now have a sword, all of a sudden quit letting Jesus listen, lead. And he hurt somebody. He quit letting Jesus lead. He let him lead for no sword. Let him lead to add a sword. But didn't let him lead in how to use a sword. And he hurt somebody. We need to make sure, following Jesus, that we make sure we keep Jesus in the center of the picture over and over and over again. We never, ever, ever back off of that space. See, First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul, Paul, writing the gospels, going around ministering, he's like, here, here is what lets you know that you can go ahead and, and, and listen to what I have to say and, and let me minister to you. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What, what gave him the authority to lead? That what gave Paul the authority to lead was Paul's willingness to follow. He says, as soon as you see me not following Jesus, forget Paul. Because you you need to be following is Jesus. But if I'm following Jesus, then you can follow my example. Why? Because we're all going in the right direction. It, ne- it never leaves from following Jesus. But what about all the other stuff? What about all the details? What all the stuff? I, I'm still stuck in my space about the, about the nets left on the beach and the table there with the, with the tax collection. I'm still stuck in that space. I find myself with let me go bury my dad or let me go say goodbye to these people. I find myself caught in all of the little details. What do I do about this? How can I follow Jesus when the details just bombard my mind? Jesus taught us in Matthew 6 verse 31, so don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about those nets, don't worry about that table, don't worry about those things, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans, those who don't care about God, don't factor in God, aren't following God, they run after all these things. That's the direction of their travel. That's what they're following. And your heavenly father knows you need him. He knows you need them. He knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Why can we just boldly follow Jesus? Because he knows the other stuff we need. He knows those things. And he'll take care of it. Following him, if, he, if, it, if following him makes it feel like we're putting something else in jeopardy, that's why it's faith, it's trusting that he loves me and, and understands these other details and following him isn't going to make things worse, it's going to make things better. It's going to make things better. Our bottom line today is follow his lead and everything else will follow. You follow him, everything else will follow thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.